For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family owned and operated, a no pressure, laid back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life. This podcast is powered by the pros at Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas owned, Arkansas operated. GoPascal.com. The sun is shining brightly. It is a gorgeous day across Arkansas, and we're happy to be with you here for a three-hour edition of Halftime on a Thursday. Phil Elson, Matt Travis, going to be a busy, busy day. Lots of folks coming through. Uh, Usual Thursday guest Bob Holt coming up shortly. We'll have Clay Henry with us for a couple of hours starting at the top of the next hour at 12 o'clock. Greg Rubel, BYU Radio play-by-play, stops by to uh, explain to us the uh, ups and the downs of BYU football and what we can expect from this, what I think is going to be a wild atmosphere uh, for homecoming in a day game and a total whiteout uh, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on Saturday. And Tommy Kraft is behind enemy lines. It actually legitimately is behind enemy lines this time. Although I would, from my experience with the folks in Utah, um, they're they're too nice to really be viewed as enemies. They are probably some of the more friendly people you'd ever come into contact with. Uh, and I'm sure Tommy already has experienced some of that friendliness, so he'll stop by hour number three, high school football conversation with Nate Olson, also in the third hour. So a lot to get to on halftime today. And I, uh, I want to start with the idea of trust. Uh, I'd hosted uh, the coach's radio show, Sam Pittman, live last night. Didn't realize I was going to be doing that until about 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday. So yesterday was a little bit of a different day than usual. Lots of time in the car and uh, great time sitting next to Sam Pittman, who uh, mentioned the idea of trust for all the players in the coaching staff when you're trying to turn things around. And you can tell by the attitude of a team during a week of practice uh, the way that they view themselves. And a lot of that has to do with the way that they view the coaches that they're playing for. And it, it still seems when you speak with the players, uh, when you hear their answers, uh, that uh, there is a lot of trust built up between the coaching staff and and this team. And really, that's the only way you can turn things around. You've got to believe that the people that are making the decisions 
uh, have not just the best decision, the best uh, interests in the team at mind, but also what could be in your best interests at the same time. I think when I talked with Coach Pittman yesterday about the conversations that he has with players when he's asking them to move positions, uh, a lot of it has to do with, do you think this is something that can be good for you? It's good for the team, but is this good for you at the same time? And that's why Quincy McAdoo's moved over to cornerback for the time being. Same with Sam Mbake. It was not an order. It was not, look, you're going to move to this position because this is a position of need right now, and we just need you there right now. They are asked if this is something that will work for them. In fact, from what I read, McAdoo actually went up to the coaches and said, I think this is something I can help you out with, which to me also says a lot about the relationship between true freshmen, in this case, and Mbake and and McAdoo and, and the coaching staff. And I've seen other, you know, we, I think we've seen maybe turnaround is not the right idea, but we've seen where there have been some losing skids for some of the teams that we cover in the last few years. And those losing skids have usually been followed by an incredible amount of winning afterwards. You see uh, the midseason, I don't want to say the word slump, but, you know, a little bit of a midseason lull right as SEC basketball play is starting for Eric Musselman's men's team. It's happened a couple years in a row, but, man, have they really gotten going after that and turned themselves into really good basketball teams that, of course, have finished each of the last two years in the Elite Eight. We saw it with Arkansas baseball just before the College World Series. That was not a team that was playing very good baseball at that moment. Uh, A lot of losing series, went two and out in the – SEC baseball tournament, and I don't know if there are a lot of people outside of the folks who are inside the clubhouse and the locker room and the uh, facilities over there at Baum Walker that thought that that was going to be a team that ended the season in the College World Series as the third-place finisher. And, heck, you saw it last year when Sam Pittman's club also lost three games in a row and was able to turn around that and turn it into a memorable nine-win season. And I kind of take that over to professional sports. When you read the report in ESPN today about Dan Snyder, the owner of, is it safe right now to call the Washington Commanders the worst run organization in the NFL? There's a few other teams out there that might give them a run for their money, thinking maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe the Cleveland Browns, couple other teams you might throw out there as well. But the commanders just have never been able to get out of their own way. And really, it feels like more than anything, getting out of the owner's way, who isn't interested in getting out of the way either. And there just doesn't appear to be much trust between the folks who run the team itself, business operations from the top all the way down. Of course, we are so told that Dan Snyder is not running the day-to-day operations that his wife Tanya instead is doing that. But your guess is as good as mine as to whether or not Snyder is not involved in any of those operations. And that's not to say anything about Ron Rivera and his coaching staff, but it would be a real surprise if there's a lot of trust between the coaching staff there and the higher-ups. When you read about a lot of the things that have gone on in the Washington Commander's former Redskins front office, a scandal involving lewd videos with the dance team, an accounting scandal where they basically have 
bilked their season ticket holders out of money that was supposed to be owed back to season ticket holders. That includes Commissioner Roger Goodell, by the way. And and now the reports about NFL owners maybe wanting to get rid of Snyder uh, and take away his ownership of the organization. This is this is somebody that now says he now it's sources say this that Snyder's got dirt on about half a dozen NFL owners, and that doesn't even include the dirt that he says he's got on Roger Goodell. That does not count the thousands of dollars that the commanders, I think, owe Goodell for uh, season ticket money, or if I think it was PSL money, the personal seat license money that he spent. And I'm not like anybody really is worried about Goodell and his money because the guy's making, what, over $40 million a year running the most uh, successful professional sports operation that we've ever seen in the United States. Uh, but there is no trust, no trust at all between Snyder and the folks that actually run the football aspect of his organization. And that's gone for a long, long time. Uh, and that also includes the owners, the people that he works with. I mean, look, the owners compete against each other when it comes to to winning games. And certainly they are sportsmen, sportswomen in that case. But they also work together on growing the pie of money. That just has ballooned incredibly. I don't know what the current worth of the Washington football franchise is, but you know that it is probably multiplied by more than three times over the $800 million that Snyder paid for the team when he became the youngest owner in NFL history at age 34, 22 years ago. And they've never been able to get out of his way. Just a handful of playoff appearances, one playoff win, just two 10-win seasons, and in a in a division that's been up for grabs probably more often than not. And certainly Washington this year is sinking down to the bottom. And, you know, it's a well-timed report by ESPN coming out on the same day where you got one of the more boring-looking NFL games for a Thursday night on Prime Video. So I hope Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet have their uh, entertaining uh, skits between the two of them because I don't know how good this game is going to be. When you look at some of the quotes on this story, this is a quote that apparently Snyder had told a, an associate recently, quote, the NFL is a mafia, unquote. All the owners hate each other, unquote. And another owner says that's not true. He says the owners all hate Dan Snyder. And he might have actually lost some of the support of Jerry Jones, who's been one of his biggest supporters for a long, long time. It's easy to root against the Washington football franchise because I know I'm talking to a lot of Cowboys fans, but for the rest of the NFL, for the rest of fandom, people like me or Steelers fans, never really given Washington a second thought. But Dan Snyder just is nobody that you can root for. And you can't imagine a turnaround for a franchise that is run by somebody like that. And that's where we start halftime today. We've got Bob Holt coming up in the very next segment. I think Bob is on the way out to the airport because this is one of the days that everybody is traveling out to Utah. Because, hey, you got to give yourself some leeway. I gave myself no leeway. I'm leaving after the show tomorrow. Hopefully we'll get there. Halftime back with Bob Holt after this. Football is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting 
free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo BLEAV, believe, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Now, back to the podcast. Bob Holt has uh, started his travels out to the Beehive State this morning. And uh, we appreciate him stopping by here on halftime on a travel day. Bob, how are you? Where are you, where are you right now? Well, I'm still at the house packing up. So, uh, getting ready to head out in a few minutes here. So how are you guys doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. I'm not traveling until tomorrow. So, this is... Uh, it's a little bit different than the travel you did last week uh, at Mississippi State or for Arlington because those are drives. Have you uh, have you made it out to Utah before, or is this uh, is this the first travel out there for you? The only time I've ever been in Utah is fly through the Salt Lake City Airport. So this would this would be the first time I'd actually be outside of the airport in Utah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it looks like the the weather's pretty decent, and I've heard a lot of nice things about the, the BYU campus and the stadium there in Provo, which is just a, a short drive. I think everybody goes there probably flies to Salt Lake City, I, I assume. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There's a, there's a foreign feel here, like a mysterious feel for, for this game. You know, brand new opponent, never played them before. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people uh, that are traveling out there are taking the opportunity to turn it into a little bit of a vacation, you know, see the sights and all that. Uh, it's a little bit different than, you know, like a trip to Knoxville or a trip to Arlington, you know, a place where the team has been before, many of the fans have been before. This this feels like a mystery to a lot of people right now. Yeah, kind of, not the um, Colorado State, obviously not in Utah, or BYU's class as a football program, but I remember going out to Colorado State, I guess it was in 2018. That was a, that was a fun trip because you flew out to Denver and, it was in September, so the weather was nice, and I remember doing some things in the Denver area. Colorado, uh, uh, Fort Collins is a pretty nice city where the Colorado State campus is, but obviously, you know, that stadium, that, no offense, Colorado State, it's not, you know, BYU's going to, it's a sellout I saw, probably have 65,000 or whatever. you got the beautiful mountains as a backdrop. I've just seen it on TV. If people maybe watch BYU-Baylor, or maybe, well, of course, the, the Notre Dame game was Las Vegas. But if they got to watch the BYU-Baylor game in early September, you know, you can see what the crowd and the atmosphere is like. It's, it looks, you know, a lot like what you'd expect from, from an SEC school. Well, yesterday at uh, the coaches' show and I think on the teleconference, you know, there were, there were positive updates about K.J. Jefferson, and we expected that coming into the week. Uh, you know, pretty much they said Friday he was okay, but they had already made a decision Thursday that he wouldn't play against Mississippi State. So I think they've known since Friday that he would play as long as he could get jostled around a little bit. And everything is 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 just peachy as far as his condition is concerned. And so KJ will be out there, and 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 that that's going to pay some dividends for this team right now. But on the other side of the ball, there were no updates on Miles Slusher, on Kyrie Johnson, on Jaden Johnson. So, Bob, I mean, it feels like they're getting back the most important piece that was missing personnel-wise last weekend, but still a lot of mystery about who's available on the back end of the defense. Yeah, and, and you know, Sam Pittman said after Mississippi State game, he expected K.J. to be 
available. You know, it's possible he could have played last week, but, you know, that, that was wise of Sam and the coaching staff, medical folks, not to, not to play him in that game. You don't want to, we're not talking about an ankle, you know, or a wrist. We're talking about a, your, your head. And so it sounds like he's had a good week of practice. And, um, I think he's a full go. You know, talking to, we didn't talk to KJ, but talking to the other guys, they said he looked good, looked sharp. Um, I think Sam, I'm maybe paraphrasing here, but basically said you, you never could have told he was out last week. You know, he looked, that's how sharp he looks. So that's obviously good news for Arkansas. I got a feeling it's going to be a pretty high scoring game. I think BYU can put up points on Arkansas's defense, especially with, you know, the, the secondary so banged up. And so Arkansas is going to have to have to be able to answer offensively, do do better in short yardage, and you know have some big plays when they're there, not turn it over, those kinds of things. That I mean, it should be a really good game. I, be, I basically look at it as an SEC game, just a lot farther west, you know, than usual. You mentioned the struggles on on short yardage situations, and I think a lot of us have focused on a lack of what has been expected to be a deep passing game, and maybe that. Maybe that'll you know play itself out a little bit better because we see Bryce Stevens getting a little more run. Keytron Jackson, I think, is more of a deep threat. But this is a team, Bob, that is built to be able to, we thought, convert fourth and one, third down and two, you know, fourth and goal from the one. That was a, that was a struggle against Mississippi State. And, and that's a big surprise because that really feels like it gets to the heart of, of what this team is supposed to be good at. Well, it's a veteran offensive line. I mean, what, there's a lot of starts, well over 100 starts among among those players. A lot of, you know, six-year guys, fifth-year guys, fourth-year guys, very veteran group. And I'm sure, you know, they take a lot of pride in being able to control the line of scrimmage. And they did, obviously didn't do that in Mississippi State. You know, uh, BYU's had some of the same issues. They had a fourth and one. They were down eight with about, I think, three-some to play against Notre Dame. They had a fourth and one the Notre Dame 27, so they were driving for a, a touchdown and a possible tying two-point conversion. They got stuffed on fourth and one. So, um, you know, I think both teams, if, if they both kind of been starting slow in terms of falling behind in the first quarter and having some short yardage issues. <laughs> and they both were ranked earlier in the year and aren't ranked now. Both have some good wins. You know, BYU beat Baylor, Arkansas beat Cincinnati and South Carolina. The South Carolina wins looking better with what South Carolina did at Kentucky last week, but they've also had some some humbling losses. You know, BYU lost at uh, at Oregon, I think, forty to twenty one, and uh, you know had a shot to beat beat Notre Dame. Um, so they're two teams, kind of, you know, in, in search of you know, but they're in bounce back mode. And of course, BYU is an independent for one more year before joining the Big Twelve. They play a pretty tough schedule. That's ironic. They play Liberty next week, and I think Arkansas plays Liberty the week after that. So I guess Liberty coaches can probably combine some film study getting ready for these next two teams. But, um, yeah, I think both teams feel a real sense of urging out that they don't usually. But I think it would be just a huge win for whoever can get it because I think it will feel like whoever wins, they'll feel like their season's back on track. Well, it is definite. Coach Pittman alluded to this. And and, and when you look at the the other SEC team schedules in the month of October, this, this game against BYU is an outlier. I mean, they, they're independent, but they're going to be Big 12. They're a big-time program nonetheless. And Arkansas this year scheduled two teams that are moving to the Big 12 next year. But no, no other team in the SEC is playing a team of this caliber from outside the conference in the month of October. And it's rare that Arkansas has done this, too. This is usually when you'll play, 
you know, like a UAPB, like last year, uh, and when a lot of other teams have their FCS opponents. So, I mean, that, that makes this game stand out a little bit. And we remember last year, you went into, you had three-game losing streak, and then you played UAPB in Little Rock. A lot of the guys got didn't have to play in the entirety of that game. Certainly the second half, it had them a running clock the entire second half. And then you had the bye week. So that's why I look at, you know, they the talk about, well, you, you ended last year's losing streak. It wasn't against a good team. This is a whole different ball of wax. And it's because you're playing a program, the likes of which nobody else in the SEC is stepping out of the conference to play this month. Yeah, it, it is unusual. I mean, we're already supposed to play you know, teams like USC or TCU, you know, those have been early in the year. Those have been in September. And that's usually what, you know, Florida played Utah early and, and, um, you know, Alabama played Texas and Auburn played Penn State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I guess this is, you know, BYU is an independent. So I imagine their schedule's a bit challenging to put together because, you know, they play, usually play some Pac 12 teams. They played Notre Dame. You know, they're playing, they haven't, this is, I think, will be their 11th game against the, the team that's currently, you know, was an SEC member when they played them, played Mississippi State. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's weird scheduling, and I, it's really honestly not good timing for Arkansas because they're beat up and they could use a bye. It's kind of funny. They could use a BYE and instead they're playing BYU. But, um, um, yeah, it's just the way the schedule falls. It's like Sam says, you know, they're, they're not going to cancel the game. I don't think Arkansas wants to forfeit, so they – they have to go out there and try to play their best, and you know they're banged up. But I know BYU, their, their quarterback, he he kind of shrugged this off. But the media reports there were that he's got you know a sore throwing shoulder. He, he you know played against uh, uh, Notre Dame, but he only threw seventeen passes. I think it was nine out of seventeen. Of course, he only had the ball for like forty six plays. But Notre Dame really controlled the ball. And no time of possession with hurry up offenses sometimes gets to put on the back burner but when you have the ball for 41 minutes like uh like Notre Dame did that's, that's a pretty big deal you know well I mean and and that and the injuries seem to be one reason why why defensively Arkansas has has struggled recently they've been on the field a ton I mean a ton especially in the first half and you know that's going to lead to some issues in the second half of a game and you know I look at I, I, coach Pittman last night is talking about well, we've talked to a lot of um, you know, medical personnel about how to handle altitude. They'll have oxygen on the sidelines. Uh, there'll be a lot of, there'll be a ton of hydration and everything. But that's also why, I mean, we, I think we, we talk a lot about the importance of a fast start in the context of the game in and of itself. I think when you look at playing in altitude, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I would imagine you want to keep your defense off the field early as much as possible. And BYU, like, they allowed Notre Dame to possess the ball for over 10 minutes in the first quarter last week. Yeah, BYU, I think very first offensive play was an interception, not the way you want to start. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Notre Dame dominated the, 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 the total yards, had close to 500 yards. I think BYU had 280. And um, honestly, you got to give BYU credit. They were down 25-6, to six, I think, and came back and closed it to 25-20. And then even after giving up a field goal, I had a shot to win. So, you know, they're a team. Obviously, they're, they've got talent. They're going to come back, you know, if they fall behind. But they're at home. They're going to have that home crowd behind them. It's, it's a real good deal. you got to remember, they're not, you know, they're getting ready to go to the Big 12. They've not been a Power 5 program. I know they want to 
a national title out back in 84. But, um, you know, they're not an SEC or not yet a Big 12 team. So I think it's a pretty big deal for them to get an SEC team uh, out to their place. It just I think it's only the second time it's happened, so it's, it's a pretty big deal for them. I'm sure their crowd's going to really be amped. Well, Bob, travel safe, man. I know it's a long day of travel to get out there to Provo, so uh, travel safe. Hope you make it when you're supposed to make it because we know nowadays that isn't always the case, so good luck. Okay, you guys travel safe, too. Thank you very much. Bob Holt, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We always appreciate his time Thursdays here on Halftime. Well, it is autumn, and fall is one of the best times of the year to go RVing here in our lovely state. Crabtree RV Center had a huge sale uh, right now through the 15th. So what's going on right now at Crabtree RV? They'll help you and your family take full advantage of fall camping. Crabtree RV is on 17 acres in Alma, right next to the Cracker Barrel. They've got new inventory daily, and you can check it out at CrabtreeRV.com. Huge sale. Started yesterday, goes through... Uh, Saturday, and uh, go over to Crabtree RV's big sale. Register to win a Razorback tailgate giveaway. Easy access from I-40 at exit 13 and column lane exit off of I-49. CrabtreeRV.com. Get by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith today and pick up a bottle of the delicious 291 Colorado Bourbon and Rye. Also available, high noon tailgate packs are in stock, so swing by 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith for all your game day needs at Eastside Liquor. Now, back to the podcast. Well, let's open the phone lines, <clears throat> calls and texts, 877-377-6963 if you want to get with us anytime in the next 12 minutes or so, we can put you on the air. Hog Dog is talking about all of the uh, national parks, all within almost the same area inside uh, Utah. He's talking Arches, Red Rock, Moab, Dead Horse. I haven't been to either one of those. Uh, I know, though, like when you get into Salt Lake City, for those who are traveling, you're going to see, and I heard Chuck Chuck um, on Gimme the Hogs Chuck yesterday had uh, the pregame host for the BYU uh, radio network. And, um, and I, I'd spent a summer, I've told you folks, I've, I'd spent a summer working for a minor league team uh, that's a, that was located an hour north of Salt Lake in a, in a city called Ogden, which I think is about the same size as Provo, but uh, where Provo is about an hour south of Salt Lake, Ogden is an hour north. And I had not made it to Provo. Uh, for any reason in the uh, five months I lived out there. But, I mean, when you're going about, I'd say, as far north as Logan, which if I remember, is that's where Utah State is located, about 30 minutes north of Ogden, you've got a rather large uh, area uh, of a metropolitan area. It's not just Salt Lake City, which is a big city, uh, but you go north by about an hour and a half, you go south by about an hour, a little bit more, and it, it's it's one big area. So I think a lot of times we view Utah as uh, outdoor kingdom, and it is. It really is. It's tons of great national parks and the Salt Lake and Antelope Island on the Salt Lake. I got to visit that a couple of times, and it's beautiful. But it's a, this is a major metropolitan area right there that you're flying into. And this great college town, Provo, is is really still part of this uh, this huge metropolitan area. Like, I mean, it's not Southern California. It's not the Dallas Metroplex or anything like that. But it's it's larger than, uh, bigger than Oklahoma City and bigger than Tulsa. 
Um, certainly bigger than, than Little Rock. There's a lot of uh, lot going on there. And we got Tommy Kraft out there, too. And I think he's actually going to see the outdoors things, the, the, uh, the national park sort of thing. So uh, we got another text in here from Stan in Glenwood. Thinks about a veer package for Malik Hornsby. It's an interesting idea. I didn't ask Coach Pittman yesterday about returning Hornsby to quarterback and whether or not that means there's going to be a package of plays for him because I anticipated the same answer uh, in different wording that um, that uh, Nick Saban gave the reporter uh, when he asked about, you know, how does it change the offense when you've got Jalen Milrow in a quarterback? You know, so we know that Malik isn't lining up at, at wide receiver anymore, but that doesn't mean that he won't line up at quarterback every once in a while. You kind of wonder about that, too, because you got two running quarterbacks, one of them who's maybe the fastest player on the field, and that's Malik. He's not going to be running anybody over, but he is certainly going to be running around a lot of folks and right through holes when he sees it, as long as he does see it. But do you want to take KJ off the field for an appreciable amount of time? I doubt you're going to see Malik run an entire series, but it wouldn't be surprising to see him out there getting a few plays for himself. The thing about when Malik was on the field as a wide receiver is that you kind of knew that he was going to be involved in the play as a wide receiver. He was never going to be a decoy. And I think that might be partially because he not very good blocker potentially um and 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 there was no reason to have him out there if he you know using him as a decoy if he just basically wasn't going to be able to block anybody but i think as a runner and only a runner like you wonder would you line him up in the backfield with kj jefferson and i'd say probably not at that case but i kind of think anytime a leak's on the field you figure well the ball's going to him He's on the field so that he can utilize his speed right now. Not the next play or the play after, but right now. That's why they've sent him out there. So if he goes in a quarterback, and you know exactly what's about to happen. Malik is running the football. He's not going to be handing it off. Certainly not. I doubt he'd be throwing it, although we saw, you know, I'm not going to say Malik has all the touch in the world when it comes to passing the football, but he certainly has got an arm to get rid of it and throw it incredibly hard. But this is somebody that they wanted to get on the field and get him the football. That's why Malik was at wide receiver. And the more you think about this, the more it seems he wasn't into playing wide receiver to begin with. He is into playing quarterback. So take him off of the position of wide receiver, and you're still thinking, and I'm, I'm in my mind here playing the part of, of Kendall Bryles and Sam Pittman, and like, here is the fastest guy on the team. An incredible amount of talent. He can throw the ball. We don't always know if it's going to arrive where we want it to arrive, but he can throw the ball. And he is a threat anytime he gets his hands on the ball to run it. And I guess it feels like it would be a surprise if you're just going to have him sit on the sideline for the entire game, you know, waiting to see if there's an injury to K.J. Jefferson. And, and now that he's not at wide receiver, he's not going to get the ball in any of those positions. There will no longer be any end-arounds with Malik put in motion and, and having the ball tossed to him two plays in a row against A&M with one of them fumbled. It just didn't work out. But when he gets out there and lines up behind center, 
I think you know exactly what's about to happen. He is going to run the football. So with as many blockers as you can put in front of him, I don't know if anybody really runs the veer anymore. That was the, that was the Quinn Grovey offense. That was, uh, that was what Quinn ran uh, for most of his time as the Arkansas quarterback. I think Malik, you know, I never got a chance to watch Quinn up close, but uh, Malik has uh, some serious game-breaking speed. I know Quinn was fast. I'm not sure if he was necessarily that fast. So I, I, I would imagine you get maybe a couple of plays where he's out there, but hey, I mean, we saw how often did Malik get on the field after he fumbled against Texas A&M? Never again. Wasn't out there. Wasn't part of the plan against Alabama at all. Not at, not at receiver, and I think by then they'd already made the decision that he's no longer going in at receiver, and so he goes in at quarterback when K.J. came out of the game. So I think we've seen in a couple of instances that they might actually be a little bit gun-shy to put him out there uh, just to give him that chance and say, well, here's this great athlete, get him the ball. It sometimes could feel a little bit forced, especially when you already have a quarterback who can run and is a real danger when he runs the football. I think it might be different if you had uh, a pocket passer back there. Let's say that for some reason, Cade Fortin was your starting quarterback. I'm not saying that he belongs at that position, but it's, it, it seems Cade is not a runner and is a passer first and foremost and above everything else. So when you figure, you know what, it'd be great to get the quarterback out and run him a little bit, that's when you put Malik Hornsby out there. And I thought that was going to be the case against Mississippi State but it, it, it became pretty evident early that there might have been an error in judgment as who's supposed to really be the backup quarterback, and Malik has taken that over. So I, I don't think that the offensive philosophy has changed as far as K.J. is concerned. I think he is a guy who will still get out and run. I don't think they're going to try to uh, change his mindset as far as getting out and feeling free enough that he can run with the football. We've seen instances this year where KJ has been has tried to be careful about getting hit. Uh, that didn't obviously keep him away from a, what appeared to be a concussion against Alabama. That's just the sport you play. But he's been more of a not a cautious runner, but <clears throat> he's given himself up much more often this year than I remember seeing last year. And I'd I'd be surprised if. There are any real reins put on on KJ Jefferson, uh, like if he sees a hole, go ahead and run through it. And there will be designed runs for KJ, no doubt. And also, when you are running a run pass option the way that Arkansas plays it, and the run option is also the quarterback could get out and run. You need to have him get out and run. That has to be part of the equation. So I, I don't think that they will rely any less. Uh, on on KJ's legs because that is an incredibly important piece of the offense. Spencer and Lowell asking about Malik in for a random series. Could that disrupt the defense and the defensive coordinator expecting a run? But could be a pass. You know, I mean, we saw the deep ball from Malik. We did. We saw that deep ball. It was a great catch by by uh, by Bryce by Bryce Stevens. You know, but I mean, he's the, the completion percentage was under fifty percent for the game. So, I mean, it would be a risk to let him throw in that position. But, hey, I mean, you make a good point, Spencer. If, if Malik is on the field and you're thinking, well, this is a running quarterback first and foremost, maybe getting him to throw the ball with, him, with, with the right guy getting open, that's such a big part of it, Spencer, and the receivers getting open, which 
doesn't look like it's happened as much as we expected it to happen or that should happen for a deep passing game. That's got to be, it's got to be one aspect of it. And, and for a, for a team that, that has been still successful running the football, even last week against Mississippi state, haven't necessarily seen the play action as often as I guess I would have expected to see. Anyway, if you got any more questions about this, 877-377-6963 for halftime. Want to tease a uh, rather big announcement that we've got for halftime and ESPN Arkansas along with hitthatline.com. It's coming up at the top of the hour, right at 12 noon, a very large announcement involving an empty microphone uh, on the other side of, uh, of the studio. So if you're interested in following that, just make sure you're listening in at 12 o'clock. That's when Clay Henry will join us and uh, when we will demystify the mystery that I've just laid in front of you. All right, we're going to take a break on halftime, and the first hour is getting ready to wrap up with a reset, so stay with us. This is for the men who never settle, the ones who miss the fairway all day and still pull out the big stick, the type of guys who will always prefer to be behind the grill than in front of the camera, and the men who never let their friends forget about a high school nickname. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Who wants to settle for a single TV? With more TVs, bigger screens, plus our fabulous scenic views, there's more to watch at Twin Peaks. Arkansas baseball yesterday played the Texas Rangers instructional team at Palm Walker last night. Gave up the first couple of runs of the ball game, uh, but ended up winning the game 10 to 2. Very well pitched game. You got Jackson Wiggins throwing a couple of innings. Hunter Holland threw two scoreless innings. Cody Adcock transfer out of Crowder College in Ole Miss also pitched two innings. Holland came over from San Jack, a big tall left hander. Wiggins allowed a couple of unearned runs in the first thanks to a dropped pop-up and then a home run by Josh Hatcher, who had used to play at Mississippi State. Uh, Jake Faraday, Zach Morris, and Gage Wood each added one scoreless inning, and Hogs pitcher struck out 15 in the game. Oklahoma transfer Hudson Polk caught for Arkansas in a home run, added a single and a walk. Peyton Stovall finished three for five with two runs batted in, and both Kendall Diggs and Jace Borfin returners added home runs. As Arkansas beat the Texas Rangers in, uh, instructional team. And uh, by the way, that instructional team has also lost uh, every game they've played so far. Uh, that is, it's, it's, it's not really a minor league team per se. It's minor league players. An instructional team uh, is just kind of cobbled together from not leftovers from the organization, but guys that need some extra instruction. I mean, these are players that the Rangers think have a future in their organization, uh, but most of them, most of them were, were playing at single A or in the uh, in the the complex. I'm not even going to call it a complex league because you're not playing in front of fans at that point. And I have trouble calling it a league and a, and a real team if you're if you're play, if you're not playing in front of fans or at least in a, a stadium where fans are allowed to come up and buy tickets. We'll just be honest here. A lot of people wouldn't be going to some of those games anyway. So it's another game today, 4 o'clock, 7 inning game uh, to wrap up this little two-game set with Arkansas and the Texas Rangers uh, instructional league team. Meanwhile, over at football, uh, Drew Sanders was one of 10 players added to the watch list for the Chuck Bednarik Award that's presented, of course, to the most outstanding college defensive player. 
Sanders is second nationally with six and a half sacks. Was named the Buckus Award Linebacker of the Month for September. And you'll have the semifinalists announced in a little over two weeks. November 1st is when they whittle the list down. Three finalists are chosen on November 22nd. And, of course, this will be an award announced uh, and uh, awarded as part of the ESPN College Football Awards show on December the 8th. All right, you got a really big one uh, in Knoxville this weekend. And the availability of Bryce Young still up in the air for Alabama against the Tennessee Volunteers. Young missed most of the Arkansas game and all of last week against Texas A&M with a shoulder injury. And Nick Saban did briefly mention uh, Young and how he's practiced recently. You know, Bryce continues to practice a little bit more. You know, we got him on a little bit of a pitch count just to kind of wean him back into it and see how it goes. So um, we expect him to do even a little more tomorrow. So that's all I really have to say about that. Sounds like Forrest Gump at the end of that, didn't he? Josh Heupel says he's planning for two quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, I think you have to prepare for both of them. Uh, you have to have a plan, even if you know who the starter is, uh, just because you know that there's going to be some things that are different depending if the other guy goes into the football game. So, you know, for us, starting with Coach Banks, but our defense staff and our players, understanding who's in, uh, the types of things that you're going to see, obviously our calls. Uh, may adjust in situations based on uh, who the QB is, but um, you're going to have to prepare for both of them anyways. It's basically what you would expect to hear. Uh, if you don't know who the quarterback's going to be, well, you're going to prepare for both of them. And uh, Alabama has held as a steady seven-point favorite all week. I did notice, though, at Bet Sarazen, uh, which is a really good app that you could download, seven and a half uh, right now is the line with Alabama favorite in that one. Uh, by the way, I'd, I'd uh, gone back. Oh, we got a caller on hold. Well, it's Eddie. It's Eddie. We got less than two minutes. Do we have enough time, or can we take Eddie in the next hour? What do you think, Maddie? Um, I think he'll be quick for us. Will you All be right. quick, Eddie? Eddie, you can be quick, right? Because we're going to be up against it pretty soon. How you doing, man? What do you think about? Are you headed well, out? I'm, hey, I'm you still a Hall fan today, but I, like I said, I'm very disappointed in how the season's going. Let me say this. This is a crucial game out in, in Utah come Saturday against Brigham Young. Coach Pittman, sir, you're the president of our football program. And what well, I have a beef at, not with you, sir, if you were running for president, I'd vote for you. I'd put your sign in my yard. I'd campaign for you. I'm talking about your secretary of defense, Barry Odom. And let me say this, Mr. Odom, you're making $2.5 million a year. I'm not going to make any friends today. We're right dead last. I realize we got some players hurt and nearly all of America. And that's unacceptable. Let me say this. If you put three damn linemen up there, I'm going to do backflips to Fayetteville. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, hold on a moment here. On Eddie, Eddie, hold Listen on a moment here. Eddie, we know for a fact, we know for a fact, the way that they aligned had more to do with the opponent they were playing. It's not the way Arkansas has lined up all year long. This is going to be a different situation. It's going to be, I imagine it'll be a different alignment, back to playing multiple defense, back to blitzing more. You're not facing an air raid in this situation. I mean, I think the situation with Odom from last week, quite honestly, has been overblown because Barry Odom, the, the, the plan, the plan would have worked if defenders had held on to the football. They had an opportunity for four interceptions. That means that the defensive coordinator actually had them in the right place. 
we're in the right alignment. We we are so quick to just point the finger and 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 announce the amount of money that somebody is making when quite honestly, I'm not sure what else he could have done to prevent what happened last weekend in Starkville. And it's Thursday. It's Thursday. It was 5 days ago. I don't think they're going to be doing three down linemen against BYU. I do know we're into the second hour after this. Eddie, thank you for listening to our show. And halftime will come back after a quick top of the hour break. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning $150,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and use 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code HTL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Just go to nohouseadvantage.com, click on the sign up tab, and use promo code HTL. Now, back to the podcast. Fun to go into the commercial break there, the phone call from Eddie in Clarksville. We get a lot. I mean, Eddie is a lightning rod. He's like the Howard Cosell of, uh, of callers across the natural state. You either hate him or you love him. There's no in between. I love Eddie. Been a fan of his for a long time. I appreciate his texts, whether they're happy texts or unhappy texts. Because it's just fun to read something without punctuation and a lot of emojis. It's two screens long. And I got one of the big iPhones. I mean, one of the really big iPhones. But, I mean, I can't. We, I felt like we had the cathartic show on Monday. And I'm not telling you not to call in with gripes or complaints or, or, or issues you have right now with the football team or how you're feeling about things. When Eddie starts going off on, you know, feeling disappointed with the direction the season's going in, I get it. I get it. You've had a roller coaster already. You were sky high, three games in, ready to roll over the Aggies, and it just didn't happen that way. And since then, the roller coaster is tilted in the wrong direction. Hopefully it starts going back up, but there's no guarantee that's going to happen right now. But I do feel like in this instance specifically, in this instance specifically, I, I, am, I, am, I don't want to blame. I'm not interested in pointing the finger of blame with every loss, especially at the coaches who I think I think had the defense in as best of a position as they could have to make plays. That's what a coach can do. I mean, a coach can't go out there and hold on to the ball. Maybe you can a coach will take the will, will point the finger at himself saying, Well, we haven't worked on that in practice enough. So it's on me. I gotta get them to work on this a little bit more. They're not throwing the players under the bus, and that's for good reason. But asking Hudson Clark about it yesterday at the coaches show, he says these are balls we've got to hold on to. He took the he didn't take personal blame on it, but he knows the situation. I think last week, and again, last week was five days ago. I think Barry Odom had him in the right position to make plays where they were trying to be patient and jump on a route and intercept the ball. And you know what? It just didn't work out that way. They were in the right position. There might have been some situations near the goal line where an alignment could have been different, but I'm no coach, and I'm not here to say that his decision-making was wrong. 
and and I understand pointing to the dollar figures that these guys are making because it's an astronomical amount of money. But it doesn't necessarily have to figure into the conversation. They're hired to do a job. They're coaches. They make market value. They're they're making what they're worth, to be quite honest. And I think that's the same with Barry Odom. Clay Henry's with us now on halftime. Clay, how you doing today? That was good, Phil. That was well well executed. I mean that that reminds me of you know the best the best way to put down the suicide bunt and getting it home. I mean you did it. Um, you know, drag I mean, it on the le- on the third base line a little bit. Did I leave it right on the chalk for you? Uh, I mean, I thought it was just. I thought you put it in the grass, and it never got to the dirt, and there was no play at first. Good, just put it in your back pocket and run off. That's good. Yeah, Chandler doesn't Chandler, like. I mean, there's the sometimes you rush. just pick it up. You just don't. I mean, what do you do? Chandler texts in. He doesn't like the three man rush. I don't see them doing that again, to be honest. I think this is I so, think that was a one game situation. I think what you do is you evaluate what the other team has. And if they're not playing a tight end, why would you put another lineman down there? I mean, they're telling you we're gonna throw it. Um and they're gonna throw it quick. And if you put a lineman down there that opens up another little space that they like in the middle of the field right i mean it just uh you match personnel with personnel and that's the way it is now um you you have to get there at some point and you can't let him move around and have time and there was three or four plays like that but not the whole time he threw it quick and i mean I, i give them credit for I'm talking Mississippi State. They can flat out run that offense. They got all their weapons right now. They're healthy. And you weren't. And you don't have all your weapons. So you assess what you have and what you can do uh, defensively. And I, I think that's that's what good coaches do. And I, I think that the salaries do lend themselves to frustration. Is like, man, that, but they're all paid like that. Look around the league. Yeah, I mean, so it makes a coach an easy target. I mean, if the first thing you can point to is a is a dollar figure that that I mean, honestly, no, I don't know many people that are listening right now, and nobody that's doing any of these shows, you know, knows what it's like to make that kind of money. But it is, you know, it, it's it's market value. And look, I mean, every year for the last even three seasons, even in the first year, there was and there was an uptick in the way the defense played the first month of the season. And then a downtick once you really got into the SEC schedule. And while they're playing well, everybody's worried about a coordinator leaving for a job somewhere else. And when they're not playing well, everybody wants the coordinators to go find a job somewhere else. I mean, this is just kind of the way things have gone. Yeah, and then, then you then you do make a change and look around. It's like, okay, my have I improved myself with this with the guy I just hired? And that's that's always the question you know what do you but sometimes it's just a business decision but i wouldn't advocate making a change with that guy i would not yeah. um i go back to it and nobody really wants to hear this but i sit down with barry uh, after spring practice and he is assessing you know what he had and he's like you know the best two players on the team were who i'm talking about defensively who would you say would he he listed his his ace guys, the best two players. 
two best players I'm defensively. I'm asking you to guess, Phil, what he said. Catalan? Yep. And Drew Sanders? Nope, he said Slusher. Slusher. Yeah, I don't think that they realized, they knew what kind of ability that Sanders had, but they were still like, okay, how is he going to adapt to inside linebacker? You know, we we know what he can do as a pass rusher, and and that's a, that's a plus. But can he can he can he play inside the scheme? And he and he can. Uh, he's been a playmaker, so that's been something that they weren't sure about, but they were hopeful. But they knew Catalan and Slusher were aces. I mean, they were two of the best players on the team, and you just hadn't had them. And I mean. Total number of snaps, they played hardly at all. Uh, is Slusher back this week? Hope so. That makes a huge difference if he's healthy because he's played one half. And that, I mean, that's what he's had. Um, but he is a difference maker in that secondary. You know, in, It just changes everything. You're not going to get Catalan back. We know that. Yeah. But you might get Slusher back, and that's, that's a major, major deal. I guess he played against Texas A&M and played pretty well. Yeah, and and he started against Alabama, but that calf was good. You know, he couldn't go. Yeah, pretty obvious. It was, on him. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like uh, we all knew it, and, and so did bad. Alabama. <laughs> it's too bad. It's too bad. It's not like last year, and you've got your FCS opponent this weekend. It's not like you know. I mean, if you had yeah, Missouri they got State, an open was, date coming, so yeah. that, that's good. You know, I you know, I assess where where are they now compared to last year? Well, first of all, they didn't play Alabama till late. So they've got three losses. They they can you know they can still have a good season, and I don't think it comes down to this game. I mean, it's just one at a time, and they're going to have to continue to improve at wide receiver, and and I think they will. You might see more of you know Keytron Jackson and, and Bryce Stevens because they've so given too. some of these other guys you know the older transfer guys lots of reps. Yeah, I think the potential and the upside for those two guys is really good. I think Hazelwood is good. I like him. Yeah, no, I wouldn't question it. He, yeah, it's Lander specifically, and he's been. There's, there's no doubt. And Warren Thompson has right now. Yeah, had a really good season. Thompson yeah. had a, you know, an injury slowed him down too, but I don't sure. think that's necessarily what's going on. Um, you know, he's. I think they were expecting a lot more from him and a lot more from. From uh, from Landers, those were the guys no that were lining up on the outside. Yeah, and and now you see Keytron on the outside, and I don't know if Steven starts, but I agree. I think he's going to see a lot more playing time. Sterling's on hold. Let's take the call. Then we got a break, and we'll be talking with the radio play-by-play voice of BYU football, Greg Rubel, in the next segment. Sterling, how you doing, man? What's new? Oh, nothing much, guys. And you know, I love Eddie too. I just disagree about that three-man front. I, I, I do what you feel. We talked about it the other day. Uh, I bet the coaches did a good job putting guys in the right position. They just didn't make the, they just didn't make some plays. But uh, you know, I, m- I remember going into the the week when we played Missouri State, and everybody was so scared of Bobby Petrino. And after the game, everybody was still loving Bobby Petrino, and I don't have nothing against the man at all. But you know, the guy has lost. They haven't won a game since. You know, they they two and four. They lost three straight, well, four straight counting off against them. And I remember people talking about Bobby, Nebraska needed Harrison called Bobby, or Missouri State's going to win the national championship. And 
And I just, it's just funny how a guy, he, he did have success here. And, I, I, and, you know, and I'm one of the ones that thought maybe, I mean, if it wasn't for some lawsuits that might come about, I, I'm just one of those guys that would like to keep them. But just remember what you have here. We have a guy here that's doing a good job. He took over a dumpster fire. He's doing a good job. He's got little injuries here and there right now. But when we go win this game against against BYU, we right where we faced probably was last year with a little bit of softer schedule. I mean, Ole Miss would be tough and Liberty would be tough. I mean, all the games would be uh, winnable and movable. It's not going to be no easy game. But I, I, I still have hope this team having a good a season, or if not better than what they had last year, even at this stage. So if we can just get by the day, get a little healthy, I say watch out because this team seems like they're still playing hard. they still got some fight in them. And uh, now we know our quarterback situation. I'm still a little bit upset about that because I just, I just didn't like the answer when you've been having a guy in the depth chart as the backup and then you say that decision was made a long time ago and we saw Hornsby reaction when the when the, when uh, Ford went, went in. I, I didn't like that, but, I mean, that's small potatoes. That's nothing. It ain't going to make me... It ain't going to make me dislike Pittman and not want to keep the job and get a raise after he win nine or ten games this year. So, guys, uh, uh, love the show. Have a great day. And I can't, I can't, I'm sorry, Clay. I'm going to try to stop next time. But I, when, I, when I hear you, when I got you on the nine, I can't help but give you praise because how much respect and love I have for your family. When you grow up reading just your father's work and you see your work, I, I'm in awe. I just wish I had just a, a pinky of that kind of talent uh, in me. And, uh, and Phil, you do a great job calling me baseball. Can't wait for baseball season because we're going to have another man of the year. Y'all guys have a great day. Sterling, appreciate you. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I mean, we, I think in this case, you know, we, we're, we're talking about struggles defensively. And then look, there's two sides of the ball. Two sides of the ball. Teams. Uh, you know, offense and defense operate independent of each other, but they're on the same team, and there is slack to be picked up. And the offense has to pick up the slack. I think. I mean, if you have all these injuries defensively, and you know you're down your best your best defenders, uh, and there's just going to be points scored. I think. I think that's just a fact. The offense just has not picked up their end of the bargain recently. Yeah, you're right. And let's uh, let's throw it all out there. Special teams, that's that's a third of it, too. That's yeah, part of it. And, you know, you got a chance to win the Texas A&M game with a field goal. So that, that's part of the season. And you got to cover punts, and you got to punt it well. So they, they have not done some other things that would help the defense or help the offense. So that's uh, – I do not believe that we've seen a complete game. Maybe Cincinnati was 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 okay. South Carolina, I think it was you know there was an ebb and flow to that. Uh, too many penalties, um, but that, I think when this team is clicking and they haven't yet for whatever reason, and I think part of it's you know the personnel. You know, do you have all your guys? And, and there gets to be a point where the guys that are playing for the ones that are out, they're going to improve because they're going to get some experience. They're getting experience. And when you call on them, they'll, they'll do a little better. And that's part of it. But they, they have 
the potential to play better than what they have. And that might still happen. Um, you know, I've heard some people question, well, you know, it's it's over. I don't believe that. Um, and I, I think there's, there's, you know, the soft part of the schedule is to come. I mean, they've just played a pretty tough schedule. Uh, they haven't had stretches where they can play guys to prepare them for what's coming. And so they're they're uh, getting the experience under fire in situations that you know aren't uh, what I would call desirable. All right, quick break on halftime. We're going to get deeper into the weeds with BYU radio play-by-play man Greg Rubel next. So stay with us. Eastside Liquor has more than just liquor. They also have wellness products and now carry Marley CBD gummies. They come in amazing flavors like Island Punch and Coconut Vanilla. They come in 200 milligram 10 packs, so stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue and pick some up today. Now, back to the podcast. I already like our next guest. Now look at his in his Twitter bio here. He's the voice of the uh, BYU Cougars, handles football, men's basketball, baseball, and women's soccer. Greg Rubel joining us. And Greg, we've never met, but I'm already a big fan because your your profile bio here says jinxes are not a thing. And as a play-by-play announcer myself for Arkansas baseball and a few other things, I've been uh, fighting that battle for a long time, so it's good to have somebody who's simpatico on me with this. How are you today? I am well, Phil. Pleasure to be with you. You got it. So uh, what's the, the excitement level uh, in, at, uh, in Provo seems to be off the charts for this game. you got a whiteout. The place is totally sold out, and it's just the second SEC team ever to visit uh, Provo to take on BYU. So, I mean, explain what the excitement level is around Provo, and and is it any different from any other game that BYU plays? Yeah, SEC games are a rarity. And uh, Kalani Sitake, since he's been the head coach, that four of them, uh, BYU's had uh, 14 all-time. If you include current members, we're talking about just current members of the SEC, BYU has a 7-7 and record all-time against current members of the SEC. But again, most of those are, are away or neutral games. It's where the SEC comes to Provo, as you noted. And so to have the Razorbacks at LaVelle Bird Stadium is a big deal and is sold out and is a whiteout and it's a Saturday afternoon uh, major network game. And uh, and so, yeah, it, 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 it's a big deal. I think a little bit of the edge may have been taken off with the setback to Notre Dame this past Saturday in Las Vegas. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Cougar goals have, have modified as a result. I think uh, as long as you're an independent with one loss and a good schedule, you can kind of consider yourself in the potential mix for the, uh, the New Year's Six conversation. But as soon as you get that second loss, uh, it kind of takes you out of that. And, and so now you're talking about getting to your six wins and getting to your ten wins. Six wins get you to a bowl game, and double-digit wins is kind of the standard. I think BYU would like to be at as an, FD, as an FBS independent. They've been there the last couple of years. And that's still in the mix, uh, sitting at four and two right now. But the Arkansas game is kind of a linchpin game. Uh, you know how how well BYU is able to do in pursuit of the six and ten wins will, uh, in large part, ride on how the Cougs play against the Razorbacks on Saturday afternoon. A lot of times when an SEC team steps out of the conference to to play anyone else, we'll always hear some of these same things. You don't see the same size. You don't see the same speed outside the SEC. But I'm looking at the roster here for BYU. You guys have a huge offensive line. You've got big running backs. You've got tall, wide receivers. 
I don't necessarily know the speed of the team, but you certainly have the size that we see, I think, in the SEC. Um, what's the what's the speed like for your BYU team? It's fair, uh, and it's it's the kind of thing I think Notre Dame is a nice barometer. Um, you know, Notre Dame is it's a P five level program in, it, in its own right, and I think BYU physically was was a match for Notre Dame last Saturday. They fell behind by nineteen points, made it a five point game in the fourth quarter, had the ball a chance to take a lead before a, a late third down drop. So. BYU was right there with Notre Dame. Now, they didn't play a great game by any stretch. I mean, Notre Dame uh, had every reason to expect to win that game. When you look at the final numbers, yet BYU was right there. And again, I think physically it wasn't really an issue. And and speed wasn't necessarily the issue. Uh, There were some execution things, and there was Jaron Hall playing uh, very much of an outlier game for him last week. And there were some reasons for that. They allowed after the fact that he hadn't practiced much during the week, was banged up in the Utah State game, didn't play well, didn't play healthy. And the hope is he's better a week later. That all said... I, I think when you when you square off with Notre Dame and and hold your own like the way they did, you feel like you're 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 kind of in the same neck of the woods uh, when it comes to you know the SEC team you're going to see the following week. But SEC football is kind of a different breed all of its own, and and Arkansas has um, has playmakers alike, of which BYU maybe has not seen yet this season. But your point is fair. Uh, the Cougars have playmakers of their own. Um, I don't know they're, that they're going to win. Um, you know, a, a matchup of forty-yard dashes on the edge with, with every with every player they're going to see on Saturday, but uh, but they're they're good enough and they're fast enough to be uh, a solid offense. I think they're waiting to refine some things, looking to sharpen some things, be better in the red zone. Certainly, it'd be nice to have a full arsenal of offensive weapons, which they haven't had yet. Either Gunnar Romney or Puka Nakua or Chase Roberts have been hurt every week this season. They've not played together in any game this season. And that's been a problem for BYU as well. You mentioned the red zone. They're uh, ranked 101st in, in red zone scoring success. This is a balanced offense, though, man. I mean, you got you know, run the ball with some success. You can throw the ball with success. It's almost even in the number of rushing attempts and, and passing attempts. I've heard and, and seen Jaron Hall is incredibly fast and maybe a, a bit of a surprise from the outside perspective that he doesn't run uh, as often, um, t- tell me about Jaron Hall's speed and his elusiveness, because this is an Arkansas defense that, you know, for the most part, up until the last couple of the weeks, was getting after the quarterbacks, and I think they expect to again this Saturday. Well, in 2019, when he was a starter in place of Zach Wilson, and then in 2021, when he was the full-time starter after Zach Wilson left BYU, Jaron Hall was a playmaker and a game-breaker with his legs. That was where he stood apart because of how well he ran, how frequently he ran, and how many big yardage runs he broke. That has not been the case this season. His long run is 13 yards. He has 64 net rushing yards through six games, an average of 1.9 yards per carry, factoring in sacks and, and tackles for loss. But, but the long run of 13 is the, is the, is the you know, I'm not going to call it a red flag number, but it's the, uh, it's the eye raiser, uh, the eyebrow raiser, because you know, he is a game-breaking talent. And I have to think, I have to think because of how 2019 and 2021 went for him from a health standpoint. Uh, he left both the, he, he was injured in both of those seasons, didn't have a complete season either time. Um, and I say complete season in 2019, he was the backup. Zach came in due to injury, but he was knocked out after a couple games. So in both 2019 and 2021, injuries took him out of the mix and they really kind of had to manage him when he came back. And this year, even though he's already been banged up, I feel like they've had a little bit more of a rein on him to make sure he can be as protected as possible as a passer because that's where he's made great strides in his game and is truly a dual threat. Yet, here we are talking again about an injury to Jaron Hall. 
he was banged up in the Utah State game, and as I noted a few minutes ago, didn't practice much during the Notre Dame week and didn't look good. His first pass he threw was a floater we had not seen yet. It was picked off on the first play of the game, and it was very much an outlier game. Nine for 17 was his passing tally on Saturday. Now, the asterisk to that, Phil, is that BYU had only 46 snaps on the day. Yeah. And, and these are back-to-back games now. Utah State and Art Notre Dame, where BYU simply could not keep the offense on the field in the first half. 19 offensive plays against Utah State in the first half. 21 offensive plays against Notre Dame in the first half. They did not have the ball enough to get into any kind of flow until it was almost too late. Well, both Utah State and Notre Dame ran the ball over 45 times with, with a lot of success. You can look back to the loss against Oregon, 212 yards on the ground on 44 runs. I mean, you kind of expect that Arkansas is just going to try to, you know, smash mouth and run the football. That's what they would try to do against anybody. And I'd imagine you, you got to yeah. be ready for a lot of that in this one, too. Yeah, the, the yards per rush number allowed by BYU is not the worst in the world. It's kind of middling, but it's the volume we're seeing right now. Teams realize that, they, that if they're going to get, you know, four to five a pop, they, they can stay with it and be pretty productive. And so BYU's defense, Phil, right now, the main challenge is this. Make some plays because they're not making enough plays on third down. Third down defense uh, rank is very low. They're not taking the ball away enough. Uh, they're 106th in, in turnovers gained. Uh, they don't sack the quarterback. They're 102nd in sacks. They don't tackle for loss. 112th there. So, you know, the, the impact plays they call they're called the havoc plays. The, the the plays that disrupt an opponent opposing offense have not been there for BYU. That's the thing. They're, the defense is spending far too much time on the field for just lack of a play being made. Uh, you know, BYU will essentially force you to take a lot. You know, to take a lot of time, make a long drive, go 10, 11, 12 plays and hope that you can't be successful on enough of them to score. That's kind of where BYU's been right now. You take a look at Notre Dame last week. They had four consecutive drives of double-digit plays between five and seven minutes of duration, and, and they didn't score on all of them. And I think that's what BYU's been kind of gambling on, is that, that teams can't necessarily keep it going long enough down the field to score. But that is a risky strategy because of the lack of plays made on the defensive end. What do you think the move to the Big 12 does for for, I, I would ask for the athletic department overall, but specifically for football. I mean, this feels like it's, you know, it's about, it's about maybe getting a little bit more of a television money, access to the college football playoff when it expands too. But what, what does this do for BYU football for years came out of the whack? You've been successful as an independent program, and I know that's led to games in a lot of places where you wouldn't have never played before. And it's, it's got to be a pretty interesting decade of independent football. But now moving into a league and moving in with three other newcomers at the same time. What do you think this does for BYU football? Well, you know, from, from the whack to the mountain West to, to 12 years of, of independence, you know, BYU found success in each of those phases. And, and there aren't too many programs Phil, that, that could, you know, embark on a 12 year journey of independence and do so um, relatively successfully, you know, still pick up double digit win seasons, have a contract with, with ESPN to make sure that you're still exposed and, and shown to uh, you know to, to enough people, and 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 so I think you know for all, all intents and purposes, it was a successful uh, journey of independence. But ultimately, the the end objective had to be to get into a P five conference, and that has now finally happened. And so it's a it's a huge validation, a justification, a reward for for not just the, just just the recent work of the last twelve years, but going back to the days of, of Lavelle Edwards when he made BYU football a name and a brand name 
and a program so that ESPN had interest in it when they went independent. And, and so it, this is kind of in, in, in a long way, in some ways, the culmination of a long road. Yet in, in other ways and more important ways, the journey is just now beginning because the stakes are raised. And BYU was fine fiscally. I mean, they were doing okay uh, financially as an independent. This move wasn't entirely about financial solvency because BYU was a solvent program. But the stakes are now raised, and the resources become more plentiful, and the commitments have already been increased from BYU to its coaching staffs in football and basketball primarily, but others. They really want to hit the ground running. They don't want to come limping into P5 life and limping into the Big 12. Uh, Does it get harder to get to the NCAA tournament in the Big 12? In, in, in a lot of ways, absolutely. And in some ways, it might be easier if you can, can get to a middle-of-the-pack standard as soon as possible because so many teams make it to the NCAA tournament out of the Big 12, for example, where, as in the WCC, which they're in basketball, you've really got to be a top-two team to have a, hot, a shot every year of getting in uh, to the Big Dance. So the standards may change year-to-year in terms of what the actual goal is, but the hope is that this, uh, that this rising tide in the Big 12 lifts all of BYU's athletic ships because... If you look at things like the Learfield Directors Cup standings, BYU has been, you know, the, the premier non-P5 program for years now. Now they join the P5 community because, Phil, for a long time, BYU kind of looked and acted and felt like a P5 program mm-hmm. without the actual stamp of approval. You know, they have a huge stadium. They have a huge basketball arena. They draw big numbers. They win a lot of games. They have national, uh, you know, national uh, types of success in, in the tournament, uh, but they never really had that, again, that, that, welcome to the club moment that they now have in the Big 12. So it's a huge thing, terribly exciting, and uh, it's a long answer to your question, but it means a lot to BYU in ways beyond the money. All right, now you and I, uh, we'll we'll end this this conversation where we started. You you and I are going to be in the Broadcasters Jinx Hall of Fame at some point. Like, I will point out if a pitcher hasn't allowed a base hit in the seventh inning. I'm going to point out if somebody's (laughs) made 12 consecutive free throws on the air, and then the coach will blame me and so will the listeners when they lose. So, I mean, you and I are on the same wavelength about this. Jinx is, there is no such thing as a broadcaster jinx. I'll let you riff on that, and then we'll end it. Well, because, you know, you and I both mention a lot of things that continue to be things after we've said them. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, you can't simply cherry-pick the moments where something happened negatively after something you said relative to the stat we're talking about, because so many things we talk about continue to be in effect for that game and the next game and the next game until they're not anymore because all streaks end. It's sports. Um, and, and, and we're just, you know, we're in the information industry. We're, we're, we're in the business of informing and entertaining and, and hopefully keeping things interesting for people. And, and all we're doing is sharing notes of interest. And sometimes these notes of interest relate to things like, like streaks and runs and, and, and things that sometimes don't last forever and sometimes last quite a bit a lot longer, even after we've talked about them. So yes, it's funny. And it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but uh, nothing you or I have ever said will have a, a, an impact on the events on the court or the field or the pitch. Um, but there are things that we find interesting because we're numbers guys and we're stats guys and information guys and interest guys and trivia guys and history guys. And that's all fun, and it's part of why we love what we do. And, uh, and again, it pops up from time to time. Because heaven knows, um, I, I'm sure there was somebody out there that cringed when I said that uh, Jaron Hall had a streak of 144 passes without a pick uh, last week, and then he threw a pick on his first throw against Notre Dame. But I've been noting his, his streak for weeks when it kept going and going until it didn't anymore because it's sports, right? That's right.
That's right. You got that, everybody out there? You got that? There are other folks just like me. Greg, appreciate you. <laughs> Good luck in your final prep and looking forward to being out there in Provo on Saturday. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. All right. You got that. Greg Rubel will be on the call for BYU Saturday when it's Arkansas against his Cougars. Hey, you've uh, known about Pradco Fishing Lures for a long time. They are made in Fort Smith. Their number one volume lure out of the 20 fishing brands that they make is the Bobby Garland Baby Shad. They're made by the millions in Fort Smith. And the Baby Shad is without a doubt the number one soft plastic crappie lure in the United States. Fish it on a light jig head or underneath the float. You're going to find it as productive as live bait. And you find the Bobby Garland Baby Shad at Lurnet.com and tackle stores all over Arkansas and Oklahoma. All right, quick break on halftime, and then we've got a very big announcement. A very big announcement that involves the future of your favorite midday radio program. So stay with us. Chuck Barrett here. I know a thing or two about making great calls in Arkansas. And when it comes to your home service needs, make the call to Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. The friendly pros at Pascal have been serving Arkansas for more than 50 years. And as the weather changes, make sure your system is ready with a Pascal protection plan. Call the pros at Pascal and get a seasonal tune-up, discounted services, and priority scheduling. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas owned. Arkansas operated. GoPascal.com. All right, it, it is announcement time. We teased this about an hour ago and on the Twitter machine. So uh, we said goodbye. We've said a lot of goodbyes on halftime in the last couple of years. Uh, we, we said goodbye to Ty, moved over to the morning rush. Clay, I'm, I mean, I'll apologize a little bit for that, I guess, because you had to deal with him a little bit more. But, hey, it was okay for the most part. Um, we had SmackDown. We had him for about a year. Had to say goodbye. On to uh, love and marriage and bigger, bigger and better things. Same with Drew. So there's an open seat. There's an open seat in the studio that we've got to fill. And it isn't just going to be me and Maddie on this show. It isn't just going to be Clay coming in on Tuesdays and Thursdays or Chuck on Tuesdays too. We do have is an there, open is seat. Is there somebody going to be sitting in the seat across from me that I can look at and during breaks uh, communicate with? Or is it just going to be me alone in here for the rest of my life? No, you're not going to be. You will not be a, a lonely person for that much longer. In fact, the person who's going to be sitting in that chair right across from you in our ESPN Arkansas headquarters will be sitting in there with you for the final hour of the show tomorrow. And... This is somebody that's going to get a reaction when you hear who our new co-host is. He's done radio before, but he's known a little bit more for what he did with a football and a little bit with a basketball, too. So we won't say hello to him, but tomorrow we will. New halftime co-host, Matt Jones. What? 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 Yes, and we're talking to Matt Jones who played football for Arkansas. Not the Matt Jones who covers Razorback Athletics for the Democrat Gazette. Although he'd be a good co-host too. But we're going to have the former Razorback quarterback and a former radio host as well join us for the foreseeable future. Is on this a- it's not April again, is it? This isn't nope. April Fool's Day? No, nope. this, is, this is October the 13th. It's a lot closer to Halloween uh, than it is any other holiday. So I, I, didn't, I didn't make this announcement to frighten you or scare you or scare anybody else, but... I think it's more exciting uh, than anything else. And, and the two of us, in fact, Maddie, too, uh, Clay, too. I mean, we, we know Matt on a personal level, aside from 
how I think most people know him, which was making great plays on the field for Arkansas and an NFL career. Um, I'm excited about about Matt and and his insight into the teams that we cover, his love for the Razorbacks, his knowledge of our state, and I think the way that he connects to Razorback fans. But I also think, Matty, I mean, you know him pretty well. Yeah. You've gone to a concert with him. He's an easy person to connect to. Yeah, he's a fellow Smashing Pumpkins fan, so several years ago we did. We went to a concert together uh, when we were working at a different station together. So, wow, how uh, paths cross again. And Clay, I know you you got to know Matt pretty well covering him for uh, for Hogs Illustrated. So I mean, you know he's he's got great insight. He's a great personality, and I think we'll have a lot of fun here. Yeah, we we have had fun through the years, and and I would say this is a big deal. And he is a big deal, and he's he's uh, he's a Razorback legend, and probably as talented an athlete as ever put on a Razorback uniform. And you know, I used to talk to my dad about, you know, who are the greats, who are the guys that he would pay to watch. And I would put Matt Jones in that category, you know, the electricity that he played with and, you know, his ability to compete on the field, you know, in, in situations, make plays. I, I remember the first time I saw him, it was as a basketball player. And I, I guess it was, was it Van Buren? Yeah, I think it was. And it was uh, against Rodgers, and they put the ball in his hand in the last 10 seconds, and he drained one. And I was like, I think that guy likes the big moment. So we're going to have fun. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of fun on the air and off the air because Matt's actually a pretty fun person to hang out with too. And uh, I'm excited about this. I hope our listeners are excited about it. I have a feeling you are because if you are listening – Chances are you are a Razorback fan, and uh, you either you either saw Matt and he gave you a lot of great memories, or uh, you heard of him if you're a little bit younger and never got a chance to see him. Then again, if you have if you never got a chance to see him play, you probably should be in school today right now and not listening to the show. Though if you are, we appreciate your ears. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick break. Want to remind you about Littleton's Paintless Dent Repair. That's your place anytime. You need vehicle dent repairs done by a professional that is local and you can trust. Got all these other pop-up hail damage places that just pack up and leave town. That is not Littleton's Paintless Dent Repair. They've been in the community for 30 years and they will stay in the community every day, every week, every month, and every year. Michael and his family in Littleton's Paintless Dent Repair. Stay local, stay with the best in the name you know and trust. You can check out Littleton's Paintless Dent Repair on Facebook. Second hour reset is next on halftime. This is for the men who never settle, the ones who miss the fairway all day and still pull out the big stick, the type of guys who will always prefer to be behind the grill than in front of the camera. And the men who never let their friends forget about a high school nickname. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Who wants to settle for a single TV? With more TVs, bigger screens, plus our fabulous scenic views, there's more to watch at Twin Peaks. We'll be adding our names to those uh, intro segments uh, pretty soon, starting on Monday. All right, we're going to wrap up hour number two. Here is another reset. Reset and refresh. Reset. The Great Reset. 
It's time for the Halftime Reset, giving you all the info and facts you need to make it through the rest of your day in sports. False start. Both teams back. on Get back here. Now, here's Phil Olsen with your Halftime Reset. National League Division Series yesterday evened up. The Atlanta Braves shut out Philadelphia 3-0 behind Kyle Wright's six shutout innings on just three hits and a walk. Braves scored all three runs in the sixth inning off Zach Wheeler with three singles in a row, producing RBIs coming from Matt Olson, Austin Riley, and Travis Darnot. Series of travel day today will resume in Philadelphia tomorrow. Phillies haven't played a home game at Citizens Bank Park since September the 25th, and that also was against the Atlanta Braves. Base would be quick. Bouncing ball right side. That's true. Profar delivers as Grisham is on his way home. Betts is going to come up throwing, and it's cut off. The Padres take the lead, and Profar, his fifth RBI of the postseason, and it's 4-3 San Diego in the sixth. I told you about it last night on Twitter. I really like the, the uh, Padres, uh, plus 160 on the money line yesterday. I liked them because they had you Darvish pitching. Darvish was just okay. Five innings. Three runs, same line as Clayton Kershaw. But you hear Jerkson Profar there with the go-ahead RBI single late in the game. Dodgers lose to the Padres 5-3 to three to even that series up. Dodgers had their chances, though. They scored all their runs on solo homers in the first three innings. Left 10 runners on base. Had a base runner every inning. Finished 0-8 with runners in scoring position. Well, there were supposed to be two games on the schedule for the American League Division Series that resumed today, but... There will not be baseball in New York today. There is too much rain in the forecast for the Cleveland Guardians and the New York Yankees. So there will not be a game in that series today. They're going to have to resume it tomorrow in the afternoon. But there is a 237 game on TBS with Seattle and the Houston Astros. Of course, former Razorback Ryan Stanek is pitching in relief these days for Houston and has been one of the best relievers in the game this season. Mariners... Manager Scott Service has decided uh, to uh, go with Luis Castillo, and he'll be pitching against Astros lefty Framber Valdez, who I understand has been wearing some uh, extensions in his hair uh, for this series and for the season pretty much too. So that is your second-hour reset. It's a bummer to have a rainout during the playoffs. You never, never like rainouts at any point, but... During a, that gives back-to-back days off for these two teams. And uh, I hate that because that uh, kind of jumps into the evening plans. <laughs> TBS at 637. And it's a little bit weird. I mean, I don't remember Bob Costas broadcasting TBS before. I turned on the game uh, a couple of nights ago, and it's Costas uh, on TBS, which kind of shook me for a little bit because I, st- I know it's been a while. It's been a few years since Costas worked on NBC. He's been doing stuff on MLB Network and play-by-play there, but it just felt a little bit weird for Costas, who for years was the voice and the face of NBC Sports, to be over on TBS. He does get a really good assignment, though, and he's still so good on the baseball play-by-play. All right, we are moving into the third hour of halftime. Lots coming up. Tommy Kraft joins us. Nate Olson from Scorebook Live to dig in to high school football and your calls and texts. And Clay's got some thoughts on Arkansas basketball because he's headed to practice today. And we might even talk a little bit about the Arkansas baseball scrimmage against the Rangers yesterday. More halftime after a break.
You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at HitThatLine.com. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.